You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. This is Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm. Hey, what's up? This is Chadis from Hell Yeah and Mudbane. This is Ron Bumblefoot Fall. Hey, this is Barbara Ryan Wilde. And this is Daniela Clark. This is Johnny from Art of Dying. Hey, this is Mixie from Stitched Up Heart. Hey, this is Nick Reese from Joyous Bowl. Hey, this is Josh from Bad Flower. Welcome aboard. The shit making way is fuck. Hey, this is Ralph Sutton. This is Aaron Jones. What's going on, gang? Zach Wilde here. And you're listening to Making Waves, the Ship Rocks Podcast. Making Waves. Hey everyone, welcome aboard Making Waves, the Shiprocked podcast. In this episode number 55, our hosts Chad and Justin went into the depths of the horror movie genre with iconic actor Bill Mosley, who turns out is a pretty prolific musician as well. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode and remember to rock hard and vacation harder. Bill, to start, I've got to ask, how does someone from Yale who goes into journalism kind of transition into acting? Well, you, if you, if you could see New Haven, Connecticut in the winter, uh, you'd realize why um, I acted every, every winter, uh, just to kind of beat the, uh, the monotony and the, the, everything is gray and white, white with snow, gray with soot. Uh, the only color in New Haven during the winter is yellow, and that's from dogs pissing in snowbanks. Um, so, you know, you got to do something to, to, to beat those uh, student blues. And uh, so I would, I, I acted every, every, that was my main, the main time I would act is uh, just uh, in the winter to kind of, you know, pass the time. Um, but I always, I always acted. I was, uh, my, my parents used to be part of a, a little, uh, I come from outside of Chicago, a town called Barrington, Illinois, and they were part of the Barrington Play Reading Group. So when I was a little kid, my parents and some other parents, you know, six or seven parents would, uh, would put on plays in their houses and they would have a dinner party and then they would put on a play in their living room. And uh, they, would, they would hold the script in their hand, but they would you know, wear costumes and make a set and everything. It was very cool, the, the Barrington Play Reading Group. And I was often um, enlisted as, uh, what if they needed a kid? like in the lottery or sunrise at Campobello or uh, uh, a thousand clowns for which I won like a tiny Oscar for playing a Nick in a thousand clowns. So, you know, that too is always kind of in the, in, in my blood, but I'm from the Midwest, man, uh, you know, good old Midwestern stock where you don't really think of acting or writing for that matter as a career, you know, you think of it as an avocation, something fun to do, but, you know, if you're going to make money, you're going to go to work and by golly, swing that pickaxe or whatever they, whatever they were expecting of me. So the fact that I even got, a, you know, was able to you know make a career out of uh, 
out of journalism was uh, was was a real you know big break for the most <laughs> for the journalism self that obviously you have to delve into research and factual evidence when you're writing your articles was there ever a creative a creative like narrative writer or like creative writing person in school or did it just kind of just was it one of those things where you just got out of school and you don't know what the hell you're going to do with yourself and i'll just do journalism or was it a well, when I when I first got into I was an English major and yes when I was uh, in fourth grade I won first prize for uh, a fiction called Diney the Dinosaur about a little Triceratops that was very much like me that was always you know crying wolf and you know pissing off the tribe and finally they 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 send Diney into exile and Diney sees that there's a Tyrannosaurus coming to eat the other Triceratopses. And so uh, Diney comes back and, and, and they don't believe him. So Diney goes out, this little poor little Triceratops and, and fights the, tri the, the Tyrannosaurus and kills the Tyrannosaurus. He gets bitten and, and then, but he kills the Tyrannosaurus and the tribe, you know, lauds him and he becomes the chief of the tribe. That was my, <laughs> that was my <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> great. That's and great. I, I did so well with that that the next year I followed up with Orny the Ornitholestes, which is another dinosaur. So I mean, I, I you know, I, I knew a good thing when I when I when I saw it. So, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I've always written creatively, um, but uh, you know, I never, I didn't. That wasn't really where I, you know, I was able to make a living. Uh, at the time when I got out of college, actually, what I did was I went right from from Connecticut to uh, to Boston, and uh, and when I was there, I was a copywriter for an ad agency, and that felt like looking, you know, kind of looking into the to the the, the gaping maw of hell. So I got out of I got out of that. I just thought, oh my God, is this what I you know? Is this is this why I've gone and become an English major? Is that to sell? you know, purity supreme supermarkets. And, uh, you know, I had fun doing it. I mean, I think it's a wonderful profession if you're into it, but I, I just figured there's gotta be something else. I don't know. That was my little would, yearning. Would you ever lean into the greeting card uh, business? Do you think at this, at, at this point in your life, you know, I feel I'm like really with all of this, I'm good at picking greeting cards for other people. Uh, so I, I'm certainly a big fan of greeting cards, uh, you know, funny, weird, inappropriate greeting cards uh you know so uh i don't know i mean if push came to shove i think they're probably worse fates than than writing greeting cards <laughs> i just think there's something beautiful about it personally that's what i i just uh, i'm trying to achieve in my life is just the ability just one i want to be published in one maybe two um of my own greeting cards that's, wow. that's a, well, that's you can do that now right you can you know get on TikTok I, I and you know become a million a greeting card millionaire yeah. I can make dancing elf videos. <laughs> I need right, is, Omni, is Omni Magazine still around? Zombie Magazine? Omni. Omni. Oh, Omni. No, no, it's no long gone. Um, Omni was one of the first magazines that actually went online. And I don't think they really had worked out an advertising scheme because they didn't seem to last very long. Yeah. Uh, but Omni was, boy, that was my, that was my bread and butter. That was really, that was the, I would say that was the spine of my freelance writing career in New York city. Yeah. Uh, cause you know what I did? Cause I love science. I mean, when I was in college, I took a couple of courses. One was, uh, black holes and quasi stellar phenomena for the non-scientists. 
and uh, quantum mechanics for the non-scientists. I mean, I was interested in it, but I didn't want to have to go to graduate school for 10 years to figure out what they were talking about. Yeah. And so I, I so I, I always loved science and uh, uh, I got my opportunity to, to interview people for Omni. And, uh, you know, my, my, I had a great editor there who loved me and just, you know, kept giving me assignments and I would bring in ideas and she would say, yes, we'll give you, you know, $5,000 to fly to Costa Rica to talk to somebody about bugs. And I was totally into it, man. That was great. Well, real quick, while we have this little short little break here. Hey, welcome, everyone. We are now live to Facebook. Thank you for joining us on this special Wednesday evening edition of Making Waves with our, our, our guest, Bill Mosley. Not our usual musical fare, but however, that's a contradiction because he does have some music in his in his uh, well, his professional career. So we'll talk about that. But uh, everyone, welcome. Make sure to pose your questions to us on the uh, on the thread and we'll get to a few of those. But right now we're going to continue our conversation with uh, Mr. Mosley here. And if you guys don't know him, and I, I, I can't imagine if you haven't seen one of his movies or something he's been in, um, he is kind of the anti-hero uh, with some of his characters, including Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. And most of you probably know him as Otis B. Driftwood uh, from well, Rob, the Rob Zombie trilogy. Uh, and I think most popular was probably The Devil's Rejects for a lot of folks. And Three from Hell, obviously, is the same thing. Um, but he's got an incredible new film, and I hope you guys have seen the trailer, called Prisoners of the Ghostland uh, wow. with Nick Cage. And if you guys haven't seen this thing, I'll let Bill explain it further, but from my eye, it's like Samurai meets the Wild West, almost a spaghetti Western Wild West. It's completely gonzo, but considering you're in it and, and, and Mr. Cage is in it, I, it's kind of fully expected of the two of you. And it's, somebody, it's kind of a character that's a little bit different from what we expect from you lately. And uh, could you just talk to people about this film? Because it, it, it looks incredible. Yes. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. And hello, Facebook. Um, and uh, yeah, Prisoners of the Ghostland. I think it's coming out maybe uh, middle of September. I think September 17th was what I saw in the trailer. Uh, the trailer dropped today. It looks fantastic. Um, I'm the guy in the white suit and the big beard and the white cowboy hat and the red gloves. And uh, I play the governor in uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. I think I'm, I guess I'm the bad guy. Jeez, what a, what a shock. <laughs> but uh, um, getting the job was great. I, 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 I'm friends with uh, you know, writer, producer Reza Sixto Safai, S-A-F-A-I, who's also on Facebook. And, uh, and Reza, um, Reza had come to see, uh, I invited him to come to see uh, Three from Hell. Uh, Rob Zombie is the last of the trilogy that Rob, or let's say so far, I don't know, we, we seem to survive at the end of it. But um, anyway, so Reza came to see that, saw me as playing Otis with a big beard and, you know, whatever I was doing and and uh, and said, you know, I've got this, this great part. We're going to go shoot this movie. It's starring Nick Cage and it's shooting in Japan. And I was like, whoa, you know, like definitely count me in, man. Uh, you know, if it were, you know, with Nick Cage, I mean, even if they were shooting in, you know, a phone booth in Duluth, they, you know, I'd be more than happy to walk there myself backwards and uh, just, to, you know, have a chance to work with him. Um, a big fan of his. I just love, especially the more recent stuff like Mandy, Colorado Space. Uh, I, I see Pig. I haven't seen the movie yet, but it looks fantastic. Um, 
so I was all for it. And I got to, uh, I got to Japan. It was, it was very coincidental because my wife and I had just taken a cruise up the Mekong river, uh, from, uh, Ho Chi Minh city, the former Saigon, Vietnam, up to, uh, we were on the water all the way up to, uh, uh, Nam Pen, Cambodia. And, uh, and so we were in the vicinity and, uh, you know, they had some uh, some different start dates for prisoners of the ghost land. And it turns out I was able to have my cruise up the river with my wife and then get on a plane and fly to uh, Tokyo and take the bullet train. I'm a big train guy uh, down to Maipara, which is a little town on the banks of uh, Lake Biwa. And for horror fans, that's where I guess it was the green gargantua came out of Lake Biwa. So I was very excited. <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big kaiju fan too. So, uh, you know, I was very excited to be at Lake Biwa. And we shot this wonderful movie. Uh, my character is uh, kind of capitalism, you know, everything that's wrong with America, the capital, I don't know, something, but I'm some kind of uh, archetype. I like to think. And uh, <laughs> so, and uh, Nick Cage uh, plays a prisoner. Um, my granddaughter, quote unquote, has, has escaped into something called, uh, you know, uh, Ghostland, which is a place, this is a kind of a futuristic uh, dystopia. And Ghostland is where all of the, the bad people and the radiated people, I mean, all kinds of crazy, you know, kind of, spirit people uh, are located and she has escaped into the ghost land. And I, I get Nick Cage out to uh, get him out of jail to uh, go off and, and fetch her and bring her back in five days. Uh, he wears this incredible suit, this body suit, looks like uh, leathers from an Italian motorcycle racer. Except the only difference is that it has little bomb clusters at very strategic parts of the body, including uh, over his testicles. And uh, there's also a little uh, meter on his wrist that, you know, if he is about to uh, harm or hit my granddaughter, um, you know, his arm will blow off. Uh, if he is about to do, if he has some sexual intentions, well, you know, his something else will blow off. So uh, <laughs> he's got, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's a time, there's certainly a bunch of peril and, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's a great movie. Uh, we actually got uh, uh, selected for um, uh, Sundance back in February, um, and that was quite an honor. Um, unfortunately, of course, it was Zoom Zoom dance as opposed to actually going to Utah. But uh, it was a very great honor, and I, I'm really excited. This is going to be a real fun ride for uh, for you know fans of just about everything. I got to ask you with your energy and his energy together. <laughs> And what was that like on set? I mean, it seems almost uncontainable. You know, he was uh, such a great guy to work with. I was worried that he was going to, you know, say, Bill who, and, you know, is that the way you're going to do it? You know, in other words, I, I had worries that, you know, he's such a, you know, he's an Oscar winner, man. So uh, I figured that he, uh, you know, I was, I was a little timid, um, and, uh, and, and he just turned out to be the greatest guy. Really a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we swapped a couple of stories over the, you know, it was freezing there. So we had like a little, couple of little, you know, folding chairs and a, you know, and a, and a flame heater that we'd kind of warm our hands while we waited for another setup. And uh, yeah, he was a great guy. Really, really liked him a lot. Um, so uh, as it turned out, he's into it. 
I was into it, uh, you know, and that's really all you can ask. If you, if you have the misfortune of working with somebody who's more concerned about, you know, which my better side and, you know, all that kind of stuff, all those concerns, you know, that, that can, you know, kind of color the experience. But with Nick, he just pounded it out really good, really a lot of fun, knew his stuff, man, he was, he was awesome. I would, I would certainly love to work with him a hundred more times. One of the characters before I let Shaq, and I want to ask you that was was Otis Driftwood, which is something you're really known for. And, he, and people very much treat you as a hero, not any hero at certain points. Um, but the point mass murders we think of like kind of like rednecky kind of things, and there was obviously the element, but there's also a massive intelligence to him. He's more of a thinking man's murderer kind of thing. It always seemed to me like you were like always. You always had some sort of like machine going in your head. It was always going to, you weren't just going to talk. You were going to basically give sermons and everything else. So this, this is a highly intelligent criminal. Is that, was that something that Rob left you to do? Or you just kind of said, Hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go this way. Or was that something that Rob had intended for the character to be like highly intellectual? I, I think that, that's all Rob. I mean, um, you know, when I, uh, when I, when he first approached me to play Otis, um, what I thought, and I was mistaken, uh, was that what Rob wanted was kind of a chop top redo, you know, like, uh, uh, so kind of his own version of chop top. And, uh, and I remember, um, kind of coming at Otis originally, you know, for House of a Thousand Corpses, kind of coming in that, from that direction, and Rob uh, gently but firmly like pried my hands off Chop Top because Chop Top was my character, my known character, you know, and like Chop Top, I'm Chop Top, you know, and and uh, thank God he did, uh, <laughs> you know, because I mean, I'm, you know, there's Chop Top, you know, and in all of us, I suppose. But, um, you know, with Otis, it, it was a totally different body center. I mean, I think of Chop Top as up in the shoulders, like, you know, with a coat hanger and they lick my plate, you know, up, all up here. Uh, with Otis, it was right down in the crotch, man. It was like two thumbs and the belt buckle and like, fuck you, you know, it's like bigger than life, kind of a, so like a Western hero in part, uh, an artist, uh, crazy, and um, and with with no remorse, shame or hesitation about anything, which I thought was really, you know, wow, how, how refreshing is that? Yeah. Where it's like, I, 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 you know, cite, uh, let's say devil's rejects when, uh, you know, when, uh, Lou Temple is saying, you know, I'm taking, uh, Banjo and Sullivan out to the, the kill site. And, uh, and I say, well, you know, that's the end of the line. And, and Lou goes, wait a minute. Well, but you said, but Mr. You, you know, we did what you said, you know, and, expecting me to like say, Oh yeah, you're right. You can, you can go free. And instead I go, you know, I didn't say that. And anyway, you know, I'm just like, just going straight ahead, no remorse, no shame, no colors of that, just straight ahead, man. I, I just think that's the best. Agreed. <laughs> and you nailed it. I am the devil. I'm here to do the devil's work. I mean, wow. You know, and Rob, you know, those are all Rob, Rob zombie lines. So, Pretty cool. Just uh, all you got to do is just, you know, know your lines, hit your marks. And, uh, you know, what, what comes through is, you know, uh, you know, Rob and Bill and it's, it's all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it just uh, that character just, you know, comes out. Yeah. And people are a little worried, like, you know, what, what happens when you 
go home at the end of the day, you know, and I have two daughters and a, you know, wife and stuff like that, a dog, cats, you know, and uh, so what happens when Otis goes home from a hard day at the office? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I, I've learned that, you know, when they say cut, you know, they really, they really mean it. And I'm, I'm not a method actor in the sense that I don't have to stay Otis, you know, 24 seven. So that's good for my family. Hey, before we have, get to Chad, we do have a question I'd like to get to, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, Karen, she wants to know in high school, what would your peers say that you were most likely to be or do and were they correct? Well, I went to a prep school in Connecticut called Hotchkiss. And, um, you know, in the yearbook, the year, the year, my senior year, I was voted uh, for two things. One was uh, gets caught with the most. And the other one is writes most gets least. Because I was lonely and I guess I was writing a lot of letters to girls at girls schools or whatever. So gets caught with the most, uh, you know, and uh I don't know if that answers the question, but, um, you know, I was already into like kind of horrors um, at, at the prep school. Um, I was the president of the Saturday evening music committee just because in our new auditorium, there was a cool uh, turntable and I would put on like MC5 and stuff, which kind of shocked everybody back then and, um, yeah. and uh, I was also uh, vice president of the medical committee, a medical club. It was a club. And that was because we were able to show stuff like, you know, like uh, Philadelphia emergency ward and, you know, horrible movies and people with coming in with knives in their heads and stuff like that. So. path was set at a much early age. <laughs> That's right. It's true. <laughs> So I hope, speaking Karen, of, I hope uh, that answers her question. Yeah, yeah, Karen, I think she's satisfied with that answer. Thank you. I was going to make a note, like, um, I, I've been going through your entire filmography and your television uh, appearances and everything before we got started. And, I, you know, I didn't, I don't think I really realized just how many scary films, horror films, uh, you know, these parts that you've played from, essentially the on, onslaught of your, your, uh, your, your start of your career here. Was it something you planned on when you were thinking about being an actor to go into the horror genre or is it just kind of like, this is where your mind just sort of like pushed things at the time and then you stay? Well, I, I didn't really have a plan to go into any, any aspect of, of movie making. What I, what I ended up doing was, um, you know, I was still a horror fan. So uh, I got freaked out by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Back, I think I saw it in 75 or six and, um, and it freaked me out so much that I ended up uh, you know, seeing it a bunch of times to try to make it familiar. And that didn't seem to work. It just made it worse. And uh, finally I made a short film called the Texas chainsaw manicure, which is about five minutes. Woman goes into the beauty parlor, gets her hair done, sitting under the dryer, wants a manicure and out comes Leatherface with the chainsaw and starts sawing her fingers and she screams and passes out. And when they, you know, slap her too, she goes, ah, 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 ah. she's got a fabulous manicure. And she goes out to her husband in the truck played by me in a cameo uh, with a wine mark looking like the hitchhiker from the original chainsaw. And uh, she goes, look, honey, I got the best manicure ever. And I go, Hey, that's great, honey. We should celebrate with some head cheese. And I bought a bunch of, you know, okay, head cheese and, Anyway, uh, a friend of mine showed that to Toby Hooper, 
And based on my literally 20-second cameo as the hitchhiker, I got the job of Chop Top. Uh, I, I was not a showbiz guy. I wasn't on a showbiz trajectory. My wife, who is, you know, was on Broadway and, you know, she, you know, she wanted to, that's all she wanted to be when she was a kid and everything. So that's, that's like the more normal path. Mine was like, you know, winning the lottery. <laughs> iconic eccentric actor and, and Dennis and Dennis Hopper. I mean, that must've been at that early point in your career running into him, that acting across from him must've been a learning and then be also intimidating as hell. Not really. We were so tired. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, literally, we were working like 20 hour days, me and, and Billy Johnson, Letterface and Jim Seedow, the cook. And uh, we were just, you know, they were just working our butts off. And uh, and the only time I remember seeing Dennis Hopper, we were all staying at the same uh, motor lodge outside of Austin. And uh, and we came in for like, you know, breakfast one more time and we were just beat. And there was. And there was Dennis Hopper in his bathrobe, uh, you know, sipping a cup of coffee. And he was just putting his golf clubs into the trunk of his rental, rented Lincoln Continental. And he was about to go off and play golf with Willie Nelson because Willie, you know, on that golf club in Austin. And so that was, you know, that was kind of my only experience of Dennis Hopper until, of course, the finale when he jumps in and we have our, you know, our big brouhaha in the, uh, in the chainsaw dining room. Uh, but, uh, so I wasn't really that intimidated just because I was literally exhausted the whole time. I mean, they just worked our butts off. It's interesting to think about, uh, that time period, just putting myself in what you just said. I can't believe that, uh, you were at that stage then where like you were so tired, uh, that the moment that this, this, this moment that happened, it's kind of like, man, whatever. I just want to get through this next, this next scene. That, that's an interesting thing. I think about as a musician, I think about that a lot, like being in the studio or, or on the road or whatever on stage. And somebody said, was it cool to meet this person? And you're like, uh, yeah, it was great. It was cool. I didn't really think about it because I was literally dri dripping in sweat and just walked off stage or whatever. And it was cool right. that they were there, you know? Yeah. Interesting moments for sure. Speaking of music, I don't know if how many people know uh, this out there in Shiprock land, but uh, you've been creating tunes currently. Uh, you have a record that you're working on that's going to come out soon, and you have records that came out previous to this. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about something um, in the music space, like how you got started? Uh, was it guitar, piano? What really kicked you off there? My mom made me take piano lessons as a kid, and I never really liked it. Um, so, um, and what I used to do is I used to, she used to, we used to have to go to Sunday school and I would sit there in the front of the car and I would, you know, be beating on the, uh, the dashboard of the car. And so she would say NND, which meant no nervous drumming. And, um, I went over to a Halloween party at a, at a friend's house and my friend Christopher English and his dad was the editor of Downbeat Magazine, which is an old jazz magazine. And uh, Christopher, this is maybe sixth or seventh grade, had bongos in his room. And I started hitting the bongos and I found my instrument. Um, my, my music, you know, we always sang in the car. We were a musical family. My older brother, uh, Bruce, plays bass. My younger brother, R.I.P. Dan, uh, you know, was a piano player. And uh, so we formed a band called the Mosley Brothers Band. And... Uh, had a great time. That was like, we, you know, through all the family calamities, 
the Mosley brothers, you know, that music was, was strong and really was a great bond. And, um, Years later, I moved to Los Angeles and uh, met a guy named Buckethead. <laughs> and uh, Buckethead was a big uh, Chop Top fan from Chainsaw 2 and uh, wanted me to come down to his, you know, like a studio. He had like a like an apartment with some equipment and uh, and go off on some of the guitar riffs he'd done. So I was happy to do it. I brought my bongos and, uh, you know, we kind of riffed and had a great time. And, uh, and out of that, he invited me to come to New York and play on an album called Giant Robot. Uh, and, um, and so I showed up and uh, did a couple of songs. One was called Onions Unleashed. I, I insisted they, they spell it O-N-L-E-A-S-H-E-D instead of you. On Onions Unleashed. I don't know. Anyway, note that's a small footnote. Uh, but anyway, we did that. I, I did. I did. Co- I come in peace. And that, that, you know, and that started us. And then I was starting to do horror conventions and I wanted to do more than just sell, sign and sell eight by 10. So I thought, called up Buckethead and said, let's, let's make some music um, so that I can, you know, sell cassettes back then. And uh, so he was down with that. So we went to his rehearsal studio and started jamming and came up with some tunes. And um, one day we were, you know, doing some videotaping at his mom's house in Oxnard, California, wherever it was. And, um, and uh, we were, and, and, and his mom had like a vegetable garden and I was like goofing around in the, in the corn. And, uh, and I, and I grabbed an ear of corn to kind of make it like I was talking to a microphone. I was going, Hey, call the cars, call the cops. And then I looked down and there was a bunch of bugs on that, on the corn cob. And I was like, corn bugs, corn bugs. And Buckethead, you know, recognized that as the name of our band. So uh, that's how the corn bugs were born. Eight years or something, right? That you guys were, yeah, yeah. You guys were, <laughs> and we never did a second take. Every everything, and and that's not an excuse. That's I, I don't know if it's my dad used to say you bragging or complaining, but uh, we just cranked them out, man. We just uh, you know, I sometimes I would bring some lyrics, uh, other times I would just make them up on the spot, but we just uh, cranked them out and uh, ended up with quite quite a lot of songs. Uh, some good, some yeah, you know, it's all corn bugs. One, yeah, it's all corn bucks. Oh, yeah. musical projects to work on was the the four song EP songs of death and despair or dark is it darkness and despair or death and despair with Phil and Sama. Yeah, either way it's good. Uh, darkness and despair. I mean, if you want to get literal. Now, how did that come to be? Are you guys friends because of his interest in horror films and, and all that kind of? You kind of got together that way. What was the What was the genesis of that one? Um, I you know I was a fan of Phil's. I mean, certainly a fan of Pantera. Um, and I was asked to interview him for something called Artist Direct. It was a, you know, like the, a website and they were doing like actors interviewing musicians and, you know, interviewing each other. And so I, you know, so I said, sure, absolutely. So I came down to interview Phil and he was going to interview me. And uh, he ended up knowing a lot more about music, certainly that I did, and also a lot more about horror movies. So it was kind of like just listening to Phil. <laughs> it was like he knew everything. Uh, I, was, I was shocked. And, and in fact, uh, just as a side note, uh, I went to his house one time several years ago, and he, he played me a horror movie I'd never heard of called Defula, D-E-A-F-U-L-A, that is actually, you know, uh, made by and about uh, deaf people with Dracula, like a deaf Dracula. So 
I mean, you know, if you're if you're pulling out Defula, you know, you know your shit. So, <laughs> but um, you know, I finally I, I kept saying, yeah, we ought to you know jam sometime. So uh, you know, and it's kind of like I realize it's like asking Paul McCartney to you know play bass in your Garage Band, but. Um, uh, you know, and I, and, and one time I just, you know, I would correspond with Phil. He likes to write on email and everything. So we would correspond. And, uh, one time I just said, uh, Hey man, let's, let's do some. And he said, okay, I got four days. You know, if you can get down here, I'm in, you know, North of Lake Pontchartrain and Louisiana and, you know, and, and, and I went, you're on. And uh, I had some air miles, man. I jumped on a plane down to new Orleans and rented a car and found Phil in the woods. And, um, one does. So we, had, we had four days and uh, I had brought some lyrics again, poems and stuff. And uh, he went through the lyrics, uh, you know, day one, we kind of, you know, said hi and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we went into the studio. I think day three was actually the day I was supposed to do all the vocals. And, um, and I, I had gotten a little food poisoning the night before um, from some funky gumbo. And so <laughs> I was a little weak. I was a little weak the day of the vocals, uh, but I was, you know, still doing okay. And, you know, we still, we were laying stuff down. He was, you know, really liked what I was doing. And then, uh, then I suddenly had this, you know, urge in my stomach and I ran out and puked in the bushes. And I remember coming back, you know, I, was, I had a beard and I come back just wiping my mouth and thinking, that's fucking rock and roll. Man. <laughs> so I got back and we, we finished Bill and Phil and, uh, yeah, some, some couple of really good songs. I think there's six all together. So, um, six songs. So, uh, yeah. And I just, I just saw Phil a couple of weeks ago in Indianapolis and, uh, he seems to want to do another one. So that sounds good to me. Yeah. That's he is awesome. a cool artist bar nine. So for sure. And Chad, can you talk to about the ice nine kills? Yeah, I was going to uh, bring that up. You mentioned interviewing people. So uh, the question I had is, I don't know if you know this or not, but I, uh, I actually hired you to um, to be in that live stream uh, that my friend Miles directed for the band Ice Nine Kills. Thanks. And, yeah, no problem. Uh, it, <laughs> during during the pandemic, none the least. So I wanted to ask, how did it feel? I mean, you've been working probably through this in some way, shape or form. You just, you know, making music or, and obviously making um, movies, but how did it feel to be like, I guess at the height of this doing something. So uh, at the time, especially so outside of the box uh, for the genre of music, not, not to even say the entirety of how we consume music in the live stream space. Have you done anything since like that? I, no, I, I just worked for Ice Nine Kills last week, actually, again. So I, I, I have to say yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I thought it was a lot of fun. I, uh, you know, the, the whole COVID thing was, uh, was, uh, was a weird uh, deal. It is, I should say, a weird deal. Um, but, uh, you know, that was actually, a, that was a safe set. Um, I think that's, you know, obviously the bottom line. Uh, I've been vaccinated, you know, a couple of times already back in Feb, Jan and Feb. So I'm cool. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, I thought that was a lot of, uh, it was certainly a lot of fun. Thanks again for hiring me. Um, uh, no problem. I, more yeah. or less, like we were super excited that you were in because we, you know, we, we had our, we had our, our goals set high with Bill Mosley and we're like, well, I don't know what he'll say. So let's reach out and you're like, let's do it. So yeah. the idea of how it all came together. And then I don't know if you watched it at all. If you got to see the, the, the sure, of course, man, it, it, it really, it was really an incredible thing. And they're like a ship rock family band. They played our, our cruise before. So it kind of ties the whole room together, you know? 
Yeah. I thought you were talking about Shiprock. Uh, is it Arizona or New Mexico? Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. That's Shiprock. Yes. All right. I think it's New Mexico, actually. Yeah, it's New Mexico because uh, my wife's cousin uh, and his wife actually worked on the reservation there um, as uh, uh, doctors for oh. 10 years. So good old Shiprock. Uh, Shiprock. Yeah, no, I, I love Ice Nine Kills. I think it's great. I just, you know, just worked last weekend with uh, with Spencer and uh, really had a great time uh, working on, uh, you know, the new, you know, Chucky project, um, Assault and Batteries. Uh, so I, 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 I love the guy. I, I, I love, you know, I, I mean, I like doing this stuff. You know, if I, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, reputation can be a little cumbersome, like, oh, my God, you know, what, what do you do? It's like, yeah, I, I would do it because I like to work and I like doing this stuff. And, uh, you know, it sure beats uh, sitting around, you know, staring out the window. I just moved into a house. You know, this is my first <laughs> house. And uh, I was in my same apartment in Los Angeles for 35 years. Wow. And uh, my wife and I bought this house during the pandemic. So uh, it's been uh you know, it's been very cool to you know be uh, you know in a house, and um, yeah, I like to work. I like to work. I like to uh, I like to garden. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, now that I'm a you know, you'll go it all away. Whereabouts were you in Los Angeles for 35 years? The same uh, third in Cochran. Okay, uh, third in Cochran is about. Um, it, it's about, it's not even a mile from uh, the Grove, uh, yeah, okay. from, uh, you know, Farmer's Market. Go in the other direction. When I, when I moved to Los Angeles back in 1986, um, uh, the one thing that I knew about L.A. was I knew because I was, you know, as a kid, I was into dinosaurs. So I knew about the La Brea Tar Pits. And so when I moved to Los Angeles, that was the one thing I told my then pregnant girlfriend I said, look, I don't know where we're going to live, but it's got to be within like walking distance of the La Brea Tar Pits. So that's, you know, that's where we've, you know, we lived there for, you know, I lived there for like, you know, many, many years. And finally, you know, uh, finally bought this house. So it's very, very cool. I asked you, were, were you paying the same uh, price and rent as when you first bought, uh, started renting? <laughs> Do you mean it's like the mortgage here? Yeah, you get grandfathered in. When you first moved to LA and lived in an apartment for 30, 35 years, were you paying the same price at the 30, 35th year you did the first year? No, no. I, I think the price doubled. But, you know, when I when I moved in there in 1986, the rent was, I think, 875 bucks, And now it's about uh, just a little under 1600 bucks, which still is pretty great. It's two-bedroom and, you know, a garage space in the back and, you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, I'd take that sixteen hundred dollars uh, all day long. I was in downtown Los Angeles, and it yeah. was like mm-hmm. right now it's insane. Well, everything is insane because I don't know yeah. what happened. Somebody stepped on the price accelerator. <laughs> everything <laughs> more expensive. It's crazy. <laughs> well, listen, Bill, we've had you for uh, we've had you for over thirty minutes, and we we can't thank you enough. It's been a lot of fun, and obviously, I hope very educational for some of our from our, some of our viewers who aren't familiar with your work, but I'm sure they will be. And uh, hopefully uh, guys out there, if you haven't seen him yet, a good intro to Bill's work is obviously the Rob Zombie films. That's going to be uh, house of a thousand corpses, devil's rejects and uh, three from hell. Check those out. If you really want to get a little deep on him, check out repo, the genetic. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Thank there you. Go. And then also uh, you can see him 
And I just know this little thing about him because I did watch an interview with you before. Your first film you ever saw was The Blob, the horror film. Yeah. And then you My grandmother the took me to it. He was in the remake of The Blob. So that's that's called Full Circle. But right now, the most important thing is go check out his new film, The Prisoners of the Ghostland, uh, featuring Mr. Mosley and Nick Cage. Um, if you want to have a gonzo uh, watching party, grab all your friends for that one because it, it looks crazy. Um, and that comes out here in, I guess, a couple of weeks of so September. September. Yeah, right? middle of September. And uh, if they want to get in touch with me on you know, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff, it's at the little at sign, Chop Top Mosley, M O S E L E Y. There you go. Go right to the source. Uh, Bill, <laughs> and we really do appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for joining us and uh, on Shiprock and the Facebook Live uh, stream. Also, guys, remember, real quick, I, I'll, I'll go to it. Um, we still have a few cabins left for the cruise, so go to shiprock.com to uh, right on. And don't rock the boat, but but definitely buy a ticket. Yeah, you don't want to miss uh, some of our <laughs> God and I Prevail and uh, Steel Panther and all your favorites. So we look forward to that. Thank you, Bill. Wait a minute, I, I hate God is on the trip. On the trip? No, uh, Lamb of God. Oh, Lamb of God. Yeah. Well, I was. You know, that was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's Jimmy Bauer on the cruise. You know. Yes, yeah, that's another. Well, that's another. The Lamb of God. I mean, I was with there. Uh, you know, in the graves, uh, starring Lamb of God, lead singer. Oh, Randy. 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 Yeah, Randy. Randy was yeah. in his. That was his horror film debut, The Graves. The Graves. That's right. That's yeah. right. Good old Randy, man. Say hi to him for me. Absolutely. Uh, Bill, thank you. Uh, best of success with this new film, and always we'll uh, always be looking out for your work. Appreciate thanks, it. Justin. Thanks, Chad, and thanks, Jennifer, too. Even though you're not visible, and thank you, thank you, everybody. And uh, maybe I'll see some of you at uh, Monster Mania this weekend in good old Cherry Hill, New Jersey. There you go. Oh. Home of the Red Devils. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. Hi, Bill. Bye. Thank you. E X I T. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. <laughs>